Dale, Chamberlain of All Ages, and Walter Payne Radio presents the greatest podcast in the world, the Marketech Samuel Plan, the Devil's Advocate Shinobi, the Lunatic King Maverick, and single syllable mother, the right side of the pond. And of course, if you're not down with that, we got two words for you. Sub loads of pain and welcome to the right side of the pond. It is Friday and we are here as always for our TLC prediction show. Well, not always TLC, of course, but our pay-per-view prediction show. <laughs> no, that's it now. We're just we're always going to predict TLC every week. I mean... New pond meme. I mean, well, I mean, for you personally, uh, WWE moving to TLC uh, 12 months of the year would be, <laughs> I, I, I think, a horror scenario. <laughs> Well, especially because then I'd have to preview it twice a week and uh, do a post show as well every month. I mean, that would be a lot of TLC matches. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, despite our like current concerns about the nature of the televised product, um, the card doesn't look too bad. I think there's a lot of flab on it, having said that, but I guess that would probably get pre-showed. Um, all right, so let's jump straight in. For some reason, Natalia and Ruby Riot are having a tables match with Jim Neidhart's face on the table or something. Yeah. It's kind of like, not only is it, like, I guess it's deliberately poor taste, but, I mean, you know, there's poor taste and then there's poor taste. Um, there's, 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 there's poor taste but being mildly successful in using it, and then there's just poor taste in it being so completely uh, unsuccessful that it seems to somehow make it even poorer taste. Yeah, quite. And it's like... <clears throat> You got to think Natalia signed off on this as well, which makes it even you would stranger. Hope, you would hope so, wouldn't you? Um, so, I mean, having said that, having said that, we always complain that women outside the title picture don't get storylines. So, you know, from that point of view, it's a bad storyline. But nevertheless, maybe maybe we can see that small progress if we are being optimistic. That is the upside. That is what I wrote a column a couple of, uh, well, it would have been last Sunday, actually, uh, about the hopeless optimism that I think comes with TLC this year. And that is one of the points that I made is that, yes, OK, it's all a bit crap, but at least there's something going on outside of the title picture, which is a positive sign. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I imagine that this is this is essentially a very similar thing to when um, Michelle McCall and Layla were calling Mickey, Mickey James uh, Piggy James and they had some sort of match with a big cake. Do you remember that one? I do, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a pretty similar scenario, isn't it? So I imagine that what happens is, uh, is Ruby will go through the table and Natalia will, you know, there'll be some sort of weird thing where she's a challenge of the month to run the Rousey, won't there? That's what I imagine will happen. Maybe around Rumble time, it might be a good uh, a good time killer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you got to think, like, because their original, I think their original plan when they were going to move Ronda a bit slowly to begin with was going to be for for her to kind of you know face yeah. the likes of Natalia in her learning process, but it never kind of transpired in the end. So maybe that will be a thing. Um, all right. So moving on, uh, we'll we'll run through guys the. Um, the, the less interesting stuff on the card and we'll spend a bit more time on the stuff that's actually, you know, worthy of discussion. Um, so we got the finals of the mixed match challenge. Um, now, now I have to say I'm, I'm so out of the loop uh, on, on this, Think, having never it, watched any it of it. Or, 
<clears throat> does it seem to have, I've not watched any of it either, but it seems to have been going on for like half the year. Now, I, th- I thought I could be totally wrong here. I'm going to have to click the actual link. Um, I, I thought that um, they had one previously and this was like season two. They did. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, yeah. they did. And, um, and Asker is one that won the first one, but then they announced season two, and that felt like it was about seven months ago. September the eighteenth, apparently. Well, when I clicked on the like, you know, was was looking through it on Wikipedia, and stuff, turns out it was like some big round robin thing. Uh, that's why it's been going on for so long, and now they've just had the the semi-finals for it. I didn't even know that the final was going to be on TLC's card. Um, <coughs> Uh, and then you look at the, <laughs> the teams it's come down to. Um, and I don't know whether it's a, it's a good thing that the, the, the top talent has been saved for other stuff or a bad thing that, you know, we've got pay-per-view time being dedicated to Jinder Mahal and Alicia Fox as a tag team. Yeah. Which, no disrespect to Jinder and Alicia, but, <laughs> you know, when, when TV ratings are absolutely in the toilet um, and they're building Raw around Barry Corbin and Heath Slater as a referee, and you kind of go and you, you're putting... You're putting our truth and Carmella versus Jinder Mahal and, and uh, Alicia Fox on a on a pay per view card uh, at the end of a tournament where bizarrely the winners get to pick their spot in the rumble, I believe. So it's like it's it's actually a match with some kind of big time implications. Like how many times have they built part of a Royal Rumble around oh so and so has picked number thirty to enter or picked number one to enter, uh, and you <laughs> and you've given that to to our truth and Jinder and Carmella and. Uh, Alicia. Yeah, it is pretty odd, isn't it? I mean, even looking at, um, at the teams they originally had, um, I mean, you, you, you look at some of them, I mean, the names in particular are just like, what on earth was going on there? Like, um, Country dominance. Uh, what is that? Yeah, like, um, also... <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, it's typical WWE, I keep interrupting you today, Matt, so I'm sorry, but it's typical uh, WWE creative team, isn't it? It's like, oh, we've you know, we've got Mickey James and, and Bobby Lashley as a tag team. What can we call them? Well, he's the dominator and she likes country music. So uh, country dominance because two plus two equals 17. I mean, the monster eclipse. <laughs> Do you know what? It's just <laughs> that reminds me. Do you remember those old Jaffa cake adverts where the teacher would eat the Jaffa cake bit by bit and then with a total eclipse with the Jaffa cake in her mouth? Vaguely. Yeah, it reminds me of that. I mean, some of them are just like phenomenal flair but then they became extreme flair when jeff hardy subbed in like what on earth anyways it's, it's, it's so we have we, we have come down to the fabulous truth Carmella and our truth um, up against uh mahalisha <laughs> uh alicia fox and Chintamaha. i feel like we need to, i feel like we need to do some kind of power 10 dedicated just to mixed tag team names the weird thing is is that you know <clears throat> You know, some of them. At least none actually, of them. At least none of them have got team in front of them. This is true. Oh no, there was Team Pause, which was um, <laughs> Kevin Owens and Natalia, but obviously then Kevin Owens got injured. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I tried to think really, but um, I, you know, I think when you look at the list of teams, um, you know, you had like Rusev and Lana and stuff like that. Like, surely that's a storyline that you can use. Um, you know, they had. Uh, Uso and Naomi. Not that I need to see much more Naomi on TV ever again, but but nevertheless <laughs> they are married. It does it it would, it would make sense. Um, yeah. Anyway, so Archie and Carmella weirdly have got quite a lot of um, pop 
out of this team. Carmella's turned face off the back of it. They're doing this dance-off thing, which some re- for some reason has got over. Um, Thank you. It plays. Uh, my my understanding is that the dance move that they do, at least Carmella does is off of that Fortnite game. I don't know if you've heard of it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Phenomenon. So whether that's sort of feeding into it, I don't know. Yeah, I think you know. Um, obviously, our truth people always kind of have a kind of you know, um, I guess a fondness for him. After you know, there are many people now you know, that would say that they kind of like our truth or something couldn't stand watching or anything because of course the guy. You know, he, he is entertaining in his own way. Um, but, but yes, yeah, so they've got a bit of pop off this. And obviously, Jinder Mahal's career has, has died since last December um, again. And um, Alicia Fox hasn't been relevant mm, ever. So I imagine <laughs> that uh, it's going to be R-Truth and Carmella. Uh, you, yeah, sure. Um, I doubt the match will be uh, particularly fantastic, but yeah, they do get. It's not just to get the pick; they actually get number thirty. That's brilliant. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like Ted DiBiase buys number thirty. Our truth wins a dance off and gets number <laughs> thirty. It's like my God, history repeats itself once as tragedy, once as farce. Um, okay. Uh, what should we go to next? Mm, searching for some jabronis. Uh, oh, Elias v. Bobby Lashley. Goodness In a ladder match. In a, oh. Where the <laughs> with that idea? Jesus. With your car swinging above the ring. I mean, I mean, like. It, you know what the funny thing is? Is that do you remember when they did the sledgehammer match with Triple H and Kevin Nash in like 2011 at TLC, and it was, it yeah. was a ladder match, and whoever got to the top could use the. It's kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. Thing so on, there's a, there's, things on there's a whole. A, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's like a perverted part of me that's kind of curious to see how this one's going to turn out. It's your Dean Ambrose size, what it is. Self-flagellating plan. Dean, who is still uh, undefeated in contract and a pole matches, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it reminds me as well of... Um, I watched this the other day, actually, like Edge v. William Regal um, with the oh, brass with knucks on a pole, yeah. um, which is actually a really good match, strangely. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a funny one, isn't it? It's, it's a bit like, oh, this guy's gimmick is that he hits people with a guitar, so we'll put a guitar up off the road. Um, and it's Bobby Lashley, which means you also have to deal with Lyo Rush as well, like joy, joy of joys. And also, Elias is a baby face. I can't be. I can't get behind that at all. Well, you know, I'm, I've I've no, I've nothing against it. I think the the shtick still works, but uh, it's going to be a. <laughs> I can't see anything other than an absolute car crash happening here. I don't think it's going to do Elias any any big favors at all. Being in a, a ladder match with Bobby Lashley one on one. I mean, honestly. Yeah, I, I, you just see that on paper and you know it's a bad idea. But I mean, Maz and I were saying last week when we were talking about the state of Raw that um, actually, when you look at the roster, it's deceptively thin. Like mm. they don't actually have below Seth and Dean like an awful lot to play with really. Because Sammy's out, Kev's out, Balor's now out, um, Strowman, True. no one's quite sure about. Um, you Roll know. It, yeah, Roman's obviously out for the foreseeable future. So they don't actually 
have that much, which makes which suddenly make, makes sense that Drew McIntyre is getting a big push and that um, and that Bobby Lashley is still getting paid for few matches because I mean, yeah, it, it does seem they don't have all that much in in reserve all of a sudden. Which is why it's even more frustrating when you get like a tag team title match on a pay per view card, and yet you've got you know you've got revival and, and Luch House part you could do something, or you know you've got more women's matches that you could put on. Sasha and Bailey aren't doing anything. You know that it's not like they're lacking resources. I mean the male the singles males roster may be a bit bit thin at the minute. Um, I mean although to be fair, you know just have Dean and Seth go out and wrestle for three hours every week, and I'll be happy as Larry. Well, yeah, quite. Um, anyway. It would seem that um, Elias is getting some sort of mid-card push, so would we suspect he'll win? Um, I don't know, to be honest, and I don't really care. No. Well, I mean, I... I, I, I guess, I guess. Mate, well, you'd imagine that Leo Rush is going to take some kind of silly dice spot off of the ladder, isn't he, at some point, because he's the resident cruiserweight Um yeah. I guess it's whoever whoever uses the guitar first wins. I mean, because really, a guitar's like a one-shot weapon, or at least of the, the gimmicks ones they use, anyway. Yeah. Um, unless there's something where, uh, you know, when they do these matches, like Elias has hidden guitars elsewhere in the arena, or, you know... <laughs> To be fair, we've 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 landed it lucky for the show not to be called tables, ladders, chairs, and guitars. Indeed, indeed. In a in a guitars match. Maybe Eric Reynolds just randomly show up with some stairs anyway. Yeah, I think I think Elias probably wins, uh, and it gets him some. Unless they want to maybe, depend, I guess it depends on um, how because they might want to produce Bobby Lashley as a big player in the Rumble because he's got the whole dominant, you know, big man, strong man, athletic type thing down. Uh, and that that usually plays well in this situation, like a Royal Rumble. So, it's it's a, it's a, it's actually a fairly tricky one to call. But I think I think I think probably Elias. Yeah, I think so too. Um, if only because they don't seem to have really, aside from that that win against Roman Reigns, they don't seem to have really, you know, committed to Lashley in any substantive way so far. Good. <laughs> Which is a good thing, of course. Um, all right, so let's have a look at the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. Um, now we've got The Bar. Uh, is Big Show still randomly their manager, but in ring gear? Could not tell you. Mm. That, that's the, one of the weirder tropes of this year, I have to admit. Um, against The New Day, um, as always, they're running their Freebird thing, so it could be any combination of Big E, Kofi and Xavier. Um, and then the Usos, of course. So essentially, I guess you've got the three teams that have, you know, dominated tag team wrestling really in, on the main roster for the past two years, sort of facing off. Um, I mean, I guess they're trying to present this as kind of like whoever wins is the ultimate winner of this kind of generational. They're trying to make it a new Hardys, Dudleys, Edge and Christian, aren't they, I think? Well, I'm not sure, but what I know is that I'm actually <clears throat> as sick of New Day and Usos against each other as I am. Uh, I'm actually quite looking forward to this one. Again, to reference the column I wrote last Sunday, like you just pointed out, I mean, you've essentially got the three top teams of this era uh, wrestling each other in, in a tag team championship match. 
Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, if, if the era that we're currently in started with the inception of the second brand extension, these three teams have defined that period of time very much so. Uh, and, you know, one of them, the Usos, were rejuvenated by the extension. Um, one of them, the New Day, were the hottest thing heading into the extension. One of them, the Bar, is the hottest tag team to have come out of the extension. So there's a nice little bit of history in play. There's a nice bit of historical symmetry in play and, and if the match pulls out the goods I mean it's curious because I think you could argue all three teams have, have perhaps underperformed this year compared to what they were doing last year uh, and the year before that but if they if they're able to deliver on the night this time <clears throat> and they're given the time to do it you know it should be presented as a big deal because it is a big deal you know whether you whether you want to see it as a like you say like a, a, an attempted retread of Hardy's Edge of Christian and Dudley's at least they're trying something and at least they're doing, recognizing if that is what they're doing, the worth of these contemporary teams in the here and now and not just doing tribute acts or nostalgia acts, which is quite refreshing. I would like to see it produced and presented as, as the big deal that it genuinely is. Uh, and I think it could turn out to be, um, you know, it could. I said if, if TLC, best case scenario, which is, is never what we get in WWE, but if for whatever reason on one night we got the best case scenario, then you're looking at a show that could become part of a journey that that you know that is this era hitting its maturation point is, is generally generationally defining because you've got other generationally defining matches going on on the same card. This is one of them, so I think there's a lot to be excited about for this. Even if you know the the narrative and the creatives in there, there's there's a there's a weightiness to it that is worth being excited for. Oh, I agree entirely. I think it's um, I think I think it on paper it looks like an absolutely fantastic match. You know, you know, I think you know, like I said, it. I mean, even if it is, it does feel a little um, a little manufactured in some sense. I don't mean that word necessarily negatively, mm. but but you know, in the mm. sense that um, they you know in in common with modern WWE habits, they're kind of saying. Um, <coughs> Look at this important thing that's going to happen, as opposed yeah. to just you know it's it's the um, they're telling rather than showing, I think, which is what often what they're guilty of, I think, in the modern day. But nevertheless, I think I think it's going to be a, a, a really good match. I hope it gets a good amount of time. Um, I think it's just a it's a pity that this isn't the TLC match. I mean, it would make so yeah. much more sense for this to be the TLC match, not only because of the history between the three teams, which you know is very similar to, to Edge and Christie and the Dudleys and the Hardys. Um, but also because singles TLC matches, aside from um, Punk v Hardy and um, Ambrose v Rollins, don't have a particularly um, illustrious history in WWE. I think it's quite a, a difficult match to wrestle um, as a singles match. So, um, and certainly for Strowman and Corbin, I mean, goodness me, we'll get onto that in a minute. But um yeah, so I think it'd be much better to have that, particularly as it's tornado as well. You know, it would, would be really good. Whereas now we're kind of, you know, limited to three people in the ring at the same time, tagging in and out. I assume that's how they work it, uh, or whether they do the thing where it's like only two teams can be in at once, which is always a bit awkward. Um, yeah, so I guess we'll just see see how that goes. But um, I imagine you'll get lots of action breaking down and lots of kind of uh, uh, lots of high spots. It, I think it will be, you know. A high octane type of match, won't it? You would uh, hope so. Um, I, quite, I find it quite hard to pick the winner of this, if I'm honest. Probably the bar, I guess. I think the lack, the, the real lack of genuine narrative behind it does make it difficult because it could be any one of them feasibly. It's not like one of them, 
you know, there's not a story here that is demanding a specific result. Um, the bar have only just sort of started to do anything on SmackDown, despite having been traded over there back at the start of the year. So I think that them winning makes a lot of sense and, and hopefully transition into a more prominent one-on-one feud where they can actually, uh, you know, get back to the kind of stuff that they were doing in, in 2017 when they were one of the hottest things in the company. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, interesting. I mean, some people have, I've seen some people predict that maybe this is the the match where, um, you know, there's some sort of seed sown leading to the breakup of the New Day. I don't know, I don't know whether they'll do that or not. I somehow doubt it. It'd be far too much like doing something interesting with them. Yeah. Um, I know we would say like it's like, it's cool having career tag teams, but I feel at this point those three might have done about as, as much well, as you possibly well, can. Yeah, I mean, I want career tag teams, but that doesn't mean that the tag team should stay static. You know, the the characters still need to evolve and be interesting and do interesting things. Uh, and New Day haven't changed since the day they became the New Day is the issue. I mean, they've tried on occasion, haven't they? Like with Xavier Woods last year, they did this whole thing where he was proving himself as a wrestler and not just a mouthpiece. And, you know, he was taking he was kind of taking decisive actions in matches and stuff. And that was quite interesting. And I thought also with him, with the Wyatts, with the whole thing where he was terrified of Bray Wyatt. Like that was that was quite interesting. But they, they, they don't really commit to it. They just do it now and again. Well, that's it. None of it has, has like the obviously you know in sports entertainment is dead. Have just over the last three weeks covered Rollins and Ambrose's story over the years from FCW, and and the difference is that their experiences have stuck. The thing with New Day is those experiences have never really stuck. It hasn't changed the characters in any feasible way. So, um, yeah, it's it's you know you know I'm not necessarily uh, I for the breakup of of one of the more successful career tag teams of the last. 30 years really but at the same time like you say if, if you know something needs to change for them anyway yeah yeah for sure um all right let's take a look at um now people are saying that that i mean at least the the, the rumors have been that Balor's actually injured um and that the Balor mcintyre match may not take place um that hasn't been confirmed yet, however, at a time of recording. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, I've been enjoying the kind of the McIntyre push, like some of it's trying a little bit too hard. I could have done without him breaking up with Ziggler. I think me and Maz were saying last week, like, you know, just because Zig, uh, McIntyre's getting a push doesn't mean you have to break him up from Ziggler. In fact, Ziggler could have assisted the push, but... Um, but anyway, they decided to kind of go with that that breakup thing. He beat Ziggler on Raw. Um, he's had some problems with Balor. And so I guess here's a match. But if it doesn't happen, do you think they have to sub in Ziggler or just can it all together? Uh, I think they'd probably sub in Ziggler, yeah, because Ziggler got a victory over Drew two weeks ago. Drew got a victory over him this week, so it sets up a third match if they need it. You know, fairly generic in that generic WWE fashion. Uh, and, you know, you'd imagine that they're, I mean, it's, it's, it's curious to me that they're doing this, that, and it, I, I don't want to get bogged down in, into a, into a, an overly negative discussion, but obviously one of the major issues with Raw recently has been how Baron Corbin has been plastered over absolutely everything. And it's weird to me that they've moved with, because it seemed like they were building towards McIntyre and Strowman as a feud heading out of that Dogs of War thing. Absolutely, And then yeah. all of a sudden it became Strowman and Corbin. And I was kind of left sort of thinking, wait, what? You know, how, what, why? Um, 
And then, you know, and then they didn't give McIntyre the platform that Survivor Series so obviously opposite, opposite itself up for. Uh, so uh, whether they're heading towards just like a, um, a glorified enhancement match for McIntyre at TLC, I don't know. But I, I certainly didn't understand the logic behind him immediately losing to Ziggler after apparently breaking out on his own if he's meant to be, you know. it's. I mean, it's so riddled with just like, such typical WWE stuff that you almost bore yourself asleep just talking about it because it's all so familiar. Uh, but yeah, if Balor's not fit to compete, then then Ziggler will probably sub in. If they get the match time, it'll be a decent enough mid card match. Um, but yeah, it's it is what it is. I, I mean, mean, I will I will I will say that McIntyre has been over the last sort of two months very very slowly and only very 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 mildly. St- Started to make me reconsider uh, my opinion of him. I think, like, I think, like you say, the smart thing to do was was to run, you know, McIntyre versus Strowman um, as a number one contenders match uh, to face Lesnar, or of course, the even smarter thing would have been to not have Lesnar, yeah, yeah, quite. like win the title at all, <laughs> and then have it be Strowman v uh, Strowman v McIntyre. Um, or even Strowman v McIntyre v Ziggler if you so choose um, and then you could have gone into the Rumble and, and obviously traditionally that's Challenger of the Month uh, and then you would kind of head into WrestleMania season and maybe you do Rollins v Strowman as your, as your main event or something but I, I just yeah unfortunately the Lesnar thing has just thrown that big spanner in the works and like you say the uh, the, the Corbin stuff is it is really awkward um so we'll transition into that in a moment but yes if this takes place i imagine mcintyre wins because they're clearly doing something with him whereas Balor has been floundering for a fair while now indeed okay um so let's have a look at at braun Strowman baron corbin so the stip is it's a tlc match if Strowman wins he gets the universal championship match at royal rumble against brock lesnar um and not only that, Corbin is stripped of his um, general manager elect title for a, oh. non, for a non-elected position. Sounds like British politics right now. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah. if Corbin uh, wins, I don't think there's anything that could sound like British politics right now. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe he, during this TLC match, someone goes and steals the ceremonial mace. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if Corbin wins, he becomes the full-time general manager of Raw, a.k.a. the point where I never watch the show again. Um, all right. So, I mean, there's, of course, again, rumours that Strowman um, might not be 100%. I think they'll wheel him out anyway and just do a quick squash if that's the case. But um, nevertheless, it's a TLC match with two big men, which aesthetically um, is never very pretty historically speaking. I think what's important here is for WWE to remember what worked well for them at SummerSlam from a production value point of view um, or production style point of view, which is, you know, they've actively acknowledged on Raw this week that there are, there are fans with issues about the prominence of Baron Corbin in a kind of very ham-fisted attempt to redo reality era. Um, but it shows that they're, they're aware of that. Um, obviously the the TV ratings, which don't mean as much as they once did, but are still worth being cognizant of, uh, are absolutely in the tank. Baron Corbin is is on 
all over the show and is not very interesting to be watching, not, certainly not entertaining to be watching. Um, you know, Strowman hasn't been around for weeks. Nobody wants to see Corbin as, as full-time. No one wants to see a match where the stipulation is about becoming a GM, for Christ's sake, for one thing. But certainly nobody wants to see Baron Corbin attain that. Uh, you know, I'm not entirely certain how many people want to see Strowman versus Lesnar for the Universal title for the 14th time. Um, if WWE have got any common sense, they'll do what they did at SummerSlam, which was keep the the stuff that people aren't interested in very, very short, get in, get out, all within the space of five minutes, and dedicate the pay-per-view time instead to the stuff that people are more interested in, like the women's triple threat TLC match, like Rollins versus Ambrose, or, or to stuff that can, can exceed expectations, like the tag team uh, triple threat. Um so if they've got any sense, Strowman will come out, make quick work of Corbin after Corbin's been running his mouth for so many weeks. Corbin will get his just desserts. The narrative gets the ending that it kind of demands uh, and the fans don't have to sit through a colossal bore of a, of a TLC match. I mean, why this is a TLC match, I don't understand either. There's so many creative priorities that seem woefully misplaced at the, at the minute with particularly the Raw side of things. Um, but yeah, they ought to they ought to bear in mind the lessons that the success of SummerSlam taught them, which was keep the disinteresting stuff short. I mean, I would agree entirely. I, I think it's just I think the oddest thing about all of this is that you know the like the the the, um, the Corbin character itself is 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 just a bizarre one because I mean I mean his thing. Um, you know, pre Cena ruining his ruining his career for him, and bear in mind I wasn't a massive fan of the guy even at that point anyway. But but there's no denying that the character that he had um, originally in NXT, you know, the lone wolf and all that type of stuff, uh, you know, it had a it had a certain something to it. And now it's like you've got this six foot seven, six foot eight guy just running away from people all the time. Uh, and I just yeah. I, I find the idea of a of a kind of towering monster heel being a coward in a waistcoat like incredibly jarring. I mean, it's it's part and parcel of of a culture that has developed. Though, I mean, one of the things that I've been railing against over the last couple of years, in particular, is this um, this increasing frequency with which we see you know, cruiserweights and super heavyweights all wrestling the same way. You know, I mean, I remember watching the one of the triple threat. It was the match where um, Roderick Strong betrayed Pete Dunne on an NXT takeover earlier in the year. And he was throwing the authors of pain around in the same way he'd been throwing, you know, Hideo Itami around in the cruiserweight tournament heading into WrestleMania. And if it, and the reason I bring that up is because, you know, that I, as a wrestling fan who grew up, Rid on New Gen and Bret Hart and stuff. I, you know, I want to see super heavyweights be treated in the ring and produced in the ring like super heavyweights, guys that you can't pick up and throw around because that's why they're a dangerous yeah. entity to be up against. You know, and when everyone does everything, when you've got every single super heavyweight in the sun doing suicide dives and every single cruiserweight under the sun lifting up guys twice their size, whether they can do it or not is beside the point. It's whether from a fiction, from the the integrity of the the fictional aspect of what's happening in the ring, you want to see that, and that it, you lose a certain magic when you lose that simple psychology. And I'm not, I, you know, I don't mean to sit here and sound like I think I'm an expert on it. I'm just talking about my experiences as a fan from when I was younger, you know. And and part of the drama was you would see 
a guy try and lift a super heavyweight and the super heavyweight would crush them. And, and, you know, it's just a simple part of the drama and it's little simple things like that that failed. And like you say, you've got Baron Corbin. He's this, this monster of a man. He's six foot odd. He's meant to be a strong dude. You know, why on earth would he be a coward? You know, I mean, you always get kind of a cowardly streak in, in the in the monsters dating. You know, I mean, I remember Yokozuna had one, but nine times out of ten, they act like an absolute monster or a hoss, because that's the that's just the basic concept that has informed wrestling from you know the beginning of its modern age, uh, and and it's something that's it's a culture that is robbing us of that because instead it's become all about look how crazy, uh, you know, this person's athletic capabilities are because it defies. Uh, you know, logic, and it's it's become more about the showing what you can do rather than thinking about what you should do. Uh, and I think the presentation of Corbin is, is wrapped up in that. Uh, and and like you say, I mean, I think the most Corbin was at his most successful when he was in NXT and he was running the kind of anti-indie. I mean, we've seen the anti-indie guy thing a thousand times, but he had that entitled sense to him. You know, he'd been kicked out of the NFL for being too aggressive. These are the things that you that you ought to be emphasizing with the character because those are at least mildly original things that set him apart. You know, seeing just him doing corporate Kane 2.0, but less with less humor um, and less charisma is 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 bland and boring and dull, and it doesn't contribute anything to any storylines. And of course, you corporate know, Kane wasn't a coward. <laughs> that's well, the other right, thing, yeah, you know? absolutely. That's the other thing. Totally, yeah. So. Um, and that's before you even get into any discussion you might want to have about loading one match up with three separate stipulations that could instead inform a few weeks of TV time. You know, I mean, it's it, again, it's a cultural thing. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think in I think you know, there's an obvious historical thing here, which um, is to blame for some of this, which is that the way that the Big Show was treated across his very very long career. You know, it was like you used to get whiplash from when he was a an unstoppable monster to when he was being treated as a joke and, and and I think it just went back and forth so many times and unfortunately Corbin is you know post his um D push um with the money in the bank briefcase is kind of uh unfortunately suffering from that. Um but yeah, as you say, he's been all over TV every single week. I mean, I mean, let's let's be honest. Kurt Angle wasn't like the most watchable general manager either. But I mean, at least you had um, the the sympathy for him because we loved him for what he used to be. Whereas Baron Corbin, it's like you know, like, who the hell is this guy? Um, all right. And the crazy thing is, he's done interviews saying how happy he is with the work he's been doing, and Vince loves it. And it's like, come on. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, you know, he can't be enjoying the character at all. I'm sure he can't it's be enjoying so it. It's so bland, isn't it? And like, you know, and I could kind of, you know, I could deal with it if he was just Stephanie's heavy. Yeah. But him with a microphone every week walking around and, and just like, because he isn't a very good talker. Um, well, and so him, wooden. him with a microphone every week, like sucking up to Drew McIntyre and, um, who's the other one he sucked up to? Bobby Lashley. Yeah, like it just. I mean, there's there's a charisma machine. Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley, and Baron Corbin. Uh, yeah, I know, right? It's 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 really, yeah, it's it's really ridiculous. So I mean, um, I think what you're seeing is, um, I think what you're seeing is um, the authority stuff from. You know, I mean, but from 2015 in particular, just get recycled. 
nowhere near as well though you know i think there's a there's a lot of that stuff where you know they used to give everybody a title uh, kane is the director of um whatever the hell he was director of operations was no director Something of like that yeah um and it was like a completely completely this constable corbin stuff was that and now he's the general manager elect i mean one of the things that matt masnai said last week when talking about tvs was that the era of the GM just needs to die. You know, like look at NXT UK, Johnny Saint comes out every now and again and, you know, sort of he, he's very, very, very rarely even there. Like it's like if well, there's, a, if that, there's an issue. Jack yeah, Jack Tunney, yeah, exactly. That's what yeah. me and Matt were saying. You know, you need a Jack Tunney figure or a Gorilla Monsoon figure, somebody that, you know, only turns up to arbitrate stuff rather than every show having to start and then have a middle segment and an end segment, and then they just duplicate it by going, "Oh, Alexa Bliss can't wrestle though. Why don't you make her the GM of the women? Like, what the hell is that?" Yeah, quite. And you know, and and Two Hundred Five Live has replicated the Jack Tony method with Drake Maverick's uh, GM stint uh, to to a certain degree as well. I mean, he's not starting. You know, he comes out and he. He'll appear in a backstage segment and he'll arbitrate a match or he'll book a rematch or he'll announce a match on Twitter and that'll be it. You know, I mean, it's far cry from the silly stuff he's been doing as manager of AOP. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, God knows that's a, a, a well, listen, I mean, terrible I, creative decision, isn't it? New Gen Raws a fantastic television because it's so simple. You could probably count on one hand the number of times an authority figure was even referenced on, um, on those on an entire year's worth of those Monday Night Raws. You know, like Jack 93, Jack Tony would turn up and, and introduce a phone poll to decide whether Lex Luger was going to get another title match or something, and that'd be it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And instead they'd just go, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, have, <laughs> you wouldn't have every show start with a 30-minute segment of someone coming out, talking to someone else for 20 minutes just to book a match later for that show. It would just be next week Razor Ramon wrestles the one two three kid, or next week it's Yokozuna versus the British Bulldog, or some. You know, they they would just announce matches. I mean, there's a novel idea. Just announce that that match is happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly, exactly. Um... The only matches they ever feasibly need to reason away are pay per view matches or or like big time grudge matches. Yeah, exactly. I, I just because they because they wouldn't even do it with title matches. They would just say next week, you know, Goldust is wrestling for the Intercontinental Championship against, you know, uh, Bart Gunn or whatever. And you would just accept it. You'd just roll with it. And then nine times out of ten, <laughs> it would turn out to be like an outrageously good match that you would. I, rem- I remember watching a match between uh, Bart Gunn and Steve Austin in 96. They just randomly announced one more. And it was an awesome match. Ugh. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I'm always in agreement with you on new generals. Um, okay, let's um, leave that unfortunate business behind. Um, so we've got Ronda Rousey versus Nia Jax in a singles match for the Raw Women's Championship. This is, of course, the rematch from uh, their Money in the Bank, I think it was, match. Uh, that yep. obviously then um, ends in DQ because Alexa came down and uh, did her thing. And Nia's kind of been... Um, missing since with injury aside and then she turned up again for survivor series pretty much didn't she so yeah naya gets her rematch um so i mean i think obviously their match last time uh, people uh, liked a lot um so i mean i think probably just looking for more of the more of the same aren't you 
Yeah, absolutely. The first match was really good, but I don't think you're going to get... And sadly, I, I have to say, I feel a bit cynical towards this rematch because I think the reason why the first one worked so well is they played very heavily on the idea that Ronda was new to the wrestling ring, wasn't familiar with the rules. This was her first title match. She'd never had to fight outside of her weight class before. All that kind of stuff kind of informed the meta-narrative of the match, and obviously you don't have that advantage this time around. And also, I think that it's it's... I don't know, the, the whole face-breaker thing with, with Becky Lynch um, on the back of, of Nia injuring her and stuff, I dare say that they might get a little bit kind of carried away and do that thing where they start overproducing instead of just keeping it to a simple wrestling match, a simple psychological referee, wrestling match. They might start to like overproduce it a little bit. So I do feel a little bit cynical. I, I'm not confident it's going to be as good as their first time around with each other, but ultimately they've got positive form in the ring with one another, so there's not too much to be down about here. Yeah, no, I think it'll be, um, I think hopefully it'll be a good match again. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I didn't see it, the first one, until quite a few weeks afterwards. So I think maybe I lost, it lost something for me for, for me not seeing it in the moment, if you know what I mean, because I kind of knew what was going to happen. Um, yeah. I think if, you, if you're watching that match on the night, I think it was probably phenomenal. Um, it was, absolutely. As, of course, I did. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, I think, um, yeah, that came at a sort of like yeah, like a busy time, and it took about two weeks to actually get around to watching Money yeah. in the Bank after it happened. So, yeah, but I but I definitely enjoyed it, and I think I think they should have another enjoyable match. Um, hope Ronda toe tones down the facial expressions. I think that's probably my my, my one big gripe with her really. Uh, but it's you know minor, relatively minor. Um, okay, so uh, what else do we have here? Oh, of course, so we have um, the match that uh, I guess has probably had the most discussion outside of, of Rollins and Ambrose, which is, of course, the triple threat between Becky Lynch, Charlotte and Asuka. Um, of course, Becky Lynch has had this, um, you know, this huge uh, resurgence um, from just before SummerSlam through to the present day. She's obviously use social media to kind of publicize her um the man gimmick and uh, people have and people have loved it um i think as 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 we've all said um let's calm down with the stone cold comparisons but but you can see why people are excited by it because it is somebody organically getting over which you know obviously hasn't happened enough lately there's you know there's there's plenty to be excited about she's been doing great stuff and and actually people have been very i think cynical towards the fact that it's it's typical isn't it people said from the beginning charlotte should have been the heel and becky should have been the, the face and of course the minute that wwe starts to then try and make charlotte a heel in this which by default makes becky lynch the face she already is people start kind of being a bit cynical about it and there is a there is a, a, a sense of of wwe playing catch up in that regard but at the same time i think it's working really nicely for the narrative sure it's a bit incongruous that Charlotte says on Survivor Series night she's wrestling for Becky, and then the next week says she was never wrestling for Becky. Um, but that's, you know, it's WWE, so you kind of get that sort of stuff all over the place. Um, ultimately, these two women have had an absolutely incredible uh, feud over the last few months, and I hasten people to remember it takes two people to have an incredible feud, not just one, and I think Charlotte hasn't been getting quite the amount of props she's probably earned uh, in her own right during all of this because of how hot Becky has been. But I also particularly like the fact that Asuka has been injected into this because it, it it means that we're not going to get a simple retread of a match we've already seen several times this year. 
uh, it gives Asuka a chance to, to prove again why she remains one of the best commodities they've got in terms of their female talent, if not quite frankly the best in the ring at least. Um, and, you know, it's a TLC match, so it's going to be interesting to see what the women do. The first women's TLC match, they're probably going to want to leave a mark, as they always do. You've got, you've got three individual uh, characters there. We saw Asuka, I mean, I spoke about this on Sports Entertainment is Dead's um, alternative TLC pre-show on Wednesday, which is that Asuka is the only one of the two women who hasn't yet snapped, quote-unquote, um, in the way that Charlotte did, because... Ronda was stealing her spotlight in the way Becky did because Charlotte was stealing her spotlight. Well, Asuka is a woman who uh, has had her own spotlight stolen from WrestleMania when she tapped out as well. And we saw on SmackDown, essentially, she did snap. So you've got three women who are on the edge mentally and emotionally about to go into a war zone, uh, all of whom are extremely capable as ass kickers. And I'm I'm very, very excited for this. And I think, you know, this this will be the fourth... I think the fourth or fifth time this year now that I feel like the women should have closed out a main roster pay-per-view, and I absolutely feel they should be closing out this show, and I hope they do. Not, you know, it's, I mean, that you don't want to put so much stock in that sort of thing, but for what it's worth, I think they should. Yeah, I, I think it's a... Uh, it, I think it's a shame, really, that they've done nothing with Asuka since WrestleMania, because yeah. um, this match is somewhat diminished from what it could be had they managed to do something better with her in the aftermath of WrestleMania because essentially, yeah. you know, she shook hands with Charlotte and it was all nicey-nicey and, um, you know, and that was that. And then she just kind of like, there were, of course, rumours that Kevin Dunn didn't, um, in inverted commas, get Asuka, so she just kind of got lost in the shuffle. Um, but, I mean, I'm glad that she is back in the shuffle. It's just a shame that, that you know, this match couldn't have been... Um, I don't know, like the uh, the match of Backlash or something. Although I guess then again, at that point, Becky wasn't rehabilitated yet. So I guess, yeah, it's, it swings and roundabouts. Um, definitely looking forward to it. Becky obviously has used the chair, um, you know, in her attack on Rousey. Charlotte used the chair in her attack on Rousey. Of course, if they were going to do some cool shared universe stuff, Rousey might show up in the match. But unfortunately, well, I doubt they it, will. Yeah. Absolutely, because that's, again, what I spoke about on Sports Entertainment is dead. You've got Ronda Rousey, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, and Nia Jax as well, um, all under one roof. Um, uh, you know, a month away from Royal Rumble, when everything really starts to build steam towards WrestleMania, you've got a lot of issues between these women. You've even got issues between Asuka and Nia Jax from back in NXT that linger. Uh, so, you, like you say, there's there's the opportunity. It's WWE, so they won't think quite that laterally, I don't think. But there's a, there's a chance there that they might. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think it'd be incredibly cool if they did, because if this is a match, that's, if they're setting up a WrestleMania triple threat with Charlotte, Becky, and and Rousey, or if they're going with Charlotte and Rousey, they're going with Becky and Rousey. Whatever they want to do, uh, you know. As we know, like they've often started these things at the Royal Rumble. Well, why not start it a little bit before the Royal Rumble? You know. Well, I mean, you know, again, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a column saying TLC, as far as I'm concerned, is the real start to the road to WrestleMania because over over the many years uh, that they've had a December pay per view, very often there are matches that end up having implications for WrestleMania on them in one sense or another. And so I think this is absolutely one of them. So, like you say, why why wait till Royal Rumble when you can start doing it now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, anyway, looking forward to it. Should be a good old scrap. Um, 
Okay, so Daniel Bryan versus AJ Styles um, for the WWE Championship. Um, now, of course, uh, we, you know we, uh, you know, we've obviously seen uh, a really good TV match between them, but this is going to be their first. Is their first pay per view match, isn't it? It will be, yes. yes. Um, so it seems like this has been going on a long time because, of course, Daniel Bryan won the title on the go-home for uh, Survivor Series. So it's been... Um, and, that was, and, that, and that was their second match as well. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, so I think uh, Daniel Bryan's new character I've been, I've been quite enjoying. I liked that, the, the sort of a, the confrontation with Steph Rowley where he was like, you remind me a lot of, of, of myself and then slaps him around the face. And I was... That was uh, really interesting. I've not had a chance to watch the full match yet, but um, I, I'm looking forward to sitting down uh, and checking it out because it looks, even based on the highlights, it looked phenomenal. Um, so that's a great way to kind of warm up for an AJ Styles um, pay-per-view match. Um, I think it's so good that AJ Styles doesn't have that title anymore because it was getting so dull. Um, Absolutely. So this, I mean, although it is the, the, the year of, OMG, we need to make something interesting, better turn them heel. I think, again, in this case, I'm all for it because Daniel Bryan, you know, again, was somebody that since he came back, uh, I just couldn't really enjoy that much. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this, I have to say. Yeah, so am I. I agree with you. Daniel Bryan's character has been infinitely more interesting over the last few weeks than it's been since he returned. And I like the the overall, um, I keep using the word tonight, the overall narrative of, how that kind of reframes the stuff he's done since his in-ring return. I like the idea of him being a frustrated person who has, I mean, there's a <clears throat> mentioning SEID again. Um, you know, I spoke on Wednesday about how there's a certain symmetry between this and the Ambrose Rollins match. And that the same way we've seen with Ambrose, I think Brian's character is proving itself to be somebody who doesn't necessarily have the emotional equipment to be able to process the kind of frustration and emotional tumult that he suffered over the last couple of years. And, of course, there's a nice meta-narrative here in the sense that quite literally at the same time as Daniel Bryan retired in February 2016 was when AJ Styles really came on the scene and got red hot and sort of supplanted that uh, place that Bryan had occupied prior to his retirement in the hearts of fans. So there's a, there's a lot underpinning this, a lot of subtext in this that you can read into if you want. Um, I hope that there's... Uh, uh, I hope it's not too clinical. I sometimes find Daniel, I've said this many times, I sometimes find Daniel Bryan's matches uh, a little too clinically minded. They're so focused on being great wrestling matches that I sometimes feel they lack a certain uh, relatability. You know, I don't know whether it's a lack of heart or a lack of spirit, but there's a lack of something there for me to really... It's why I prefer the Punk Lesnar match at SummerSlam 2013 to the Cena Bryan match. It feels like the Punk Lesnar match has more feeling to it. So I hope that we don't get anything too clinical. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Which I think is a danger, considering the, the type of talent the two men are. Um, but either way, I mean, it's going to be, I'm sure, a tremendous match. And like you say, there's there's uh, there's some great character work going on, certainly on Brian's side. So um, I'd be interested to see how that translates. As long as it doesn't end with a low blow. <laughs> is, the, is it the year of the low blow, or is it the year of the Spanish fly? That's the question we all have to answer. Um, I, I do I do think that the one thing I need to avoid here, one thing I'd like to avoid here is, um, is AJ Styles doing that whole, 
I'm angry because I've yeah. been wronged thing that he's done through the Joe feud and through the Nakamura feud. Like, it's a bit tiresome now. Like, you know, I don't want it to all be like, oh, we've never seen an AJ Styles this passionate before and all that stuff. Like, yeah, really kind of doing that. Like, um, AJ desperately needs a storyline to develop that character some more. And for us to know who he is, because all we've seen all year is exactly what you just said, which is, oh, he's angry. Yeah, no. And if I and if I have to hear him say SmackDown is the house that AJ Styles built one more time, I think I'm going to put my head through a pane glass window. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. I, th- I think um, you know AJ Styles as a heel character really developed into something really interesting, and I think he just needs an anchor as as a as a babyface, like something that he can grab onto and and say like you know I'm going to base my character around this, and so far it's been around you know, people um, insulting who he is and doubting that he's the top guy. And I just think it's a bit John Cena. He's like, I said this to Matt last week. Yeah, he's, John, John he's John Cena with a bigger moveset. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which I don't think any of us uh, want, let's be honest. So, um, yeah, let's, let's hope that uh, something more interesting happens. Um, all right, let's... Uh, we've obviously got Ambrose and um, Rollins to do uh, last, but I realised that we hadn't actually talked um, about Buddy Murphy and Cedric Alexander having a Cruiserweight Championship match. So uh, very, very briefly, um, we've, we've gone honest, over. I've... Yeah, we've gone over this a lot of times, haven't we? Buddy Murphy, not interesting. Cedric Alexander, not interesting. Not interesting. Why yeah. is it? Why is it Mustafa Ali the Cruiserweight Championship? Is that pretty? Is that pretty much? Pretty much. Sum it up. Yeah, okay. It's, it, and it's particularly hilarious when you consider they gave Mustafa Ali a match against the WWE champion on SmackDown this week. I mean, yeah, it's, so it's, it's quite obvious they're aware of who the biggest talent on that show is and who the most successful and best talent on that show is, who has the strongest connection with the fans on that show is. And yet, for some reason, <laughs> he's not on the pay-per-view card and they've put these two cardboard cutouts out there instead. Now, I, I, I'm get, I guess there's, there's one of two explanations here. Either they are moving towards... <laughs> Um, the, what is my dream scenario of Mustafa Ali um, getting a place on the SmackDown roster and actually really yeah. smashing up the mid-card, because I'd love that. Um, or they're looking again at uh, realising that they made a mistake last WrestleMania and having WrestleMania be a big moment for Mustafa Ali winning his first yeah. Cruiserweight title. Uh, and I think if that's the case, then I can live with this. Sure. Um, but yeah, I imagine Murphy to retain. Uh, I, I yeah I would hope so yeah because I mean he's more interested in Cedric Alexander God knows I think the other way that I have live is that obviously they've got this roster of what like 15 16 guys um, and so far this year about three people seem to wrestle for the titles <laughs> it's a bit like come on let's have some let's have some more uh, I don't know Tony Nese championship matches or something um okay so, of course, this is the big one for, for us. Um, we've spent uh, three weeks on sports entertainment. Sports entertainment is dead. Uh, the sports side of the pond, or whatever you wish to call it, talking about um, Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose's uh, epic, epic relationship with each other um, over the course of, um, you know, their time both in FCW and on the main roster, had a tremendous time doing that. And, of course, it all comes down to this match on Sunday. So what did you make of the 
the go home angle because i mean i thought what was interesting was that dean ambrose's promo backstage yeah. um he he basically said what i said on sports 10 is dead which is it's all about seth's ego and even the name architect was something he cooked up to put more spotlight on himself and it was never about dean or roman it was just always about seth which is quite interesting because it was kind of exactly how i how i pictured this uh, what did you think about that well um covered it Briefly on the second half of Sports Entertainment is Dead. I mean, what I loved particularly about it was how upset he seemed to be that Seth wasn't obsessing over him. Um, you know, that he was he was pissed off because Seth was out there, you know, confronting Baron Corbin and, and uh, was, was you know, had his mind on other stuff. And Seth himself had kind of said at the beginning of the night he'd been so obsessed with this Dean Ambrose situation that he had, had sort of overlooked other stuff that was going on. Um <clears throat> So I loved the, the, the sense that Dean Ambrose was angry that even though now that, you know, it's because it's, it's, that, it's that brotherly love that's still there. You know, I think there's a part of Dean that wants Rollins to be obsessed with him. But at the same time, a part of it may be that maybe Ambrose has seen that advantage of his slip away a little bit because Rollins, you know, has had his head clouded, has, hasn't been able to uh, predict <clears throat> Ambrose in the way that we've spoken about. <clears throat> you know, being able to think those 10, 12 steps ahead. Uh, and uh, Ambrose, I think, in the promo talked about how Seth seemed to be relying more on his instincts and stuff, and that's not the architect, and yet, yet, yada, yada, yada. So th- I think that there's, there's there were various ways to read it. One of them was that maybe he's he's a little bit panicked because at the nth hour, it seems like Rollins maybe got his act together a little bit heading into this match. Either way, I thought it was a... Uh, first of all, I, I liked the fact that there was a certain degree of shared universe, and you know Ambrose didn't make his presence felt in the match, which would have really amplified that sadly. But, um, uh, but that you know, nonetheless, there was that sense of, of of people recognizing other stuff was going on around them, other than their own feud. Um, and it was an interesting way to lead into the the, the match that the two of them are going to have. I, I I'm a little bit disappointed in wwe for not making a bigger deal out of this because i think it is a, a massive deal and we've already spoken about the tag teams uh, on smackdown live but this is absolutely the iconic feud of this generation of talent and it's getting this singles match for the against the perfect backdrop as well by the way which i said on scid i i've seen people cynical about the fact that the ic title is embroiled in this because it could just be a grudge match and and actually the ic title is the perfect symbol of the of the um of the animosity felt between the two of them because Seth has really garnered a hell of a lot of praise this year for his run as the intercontinental championship and taking its, its renewal up to that next, next level. But that really all started with, with Kevin Owens and Dean Ambrose in 2015 and Dean doesn't get any credit for it. So actually, you know, that's, that's the, the, the IC title is the perfect backdrop to be staging this against. And the last thing that I'd say as well is that I really loved Dean's reaction when he was challenged on what Roman would think about his actions recently and he kind of there was almost a a sort of a passing moment of shame before he kind of just shrugged it off and said who cares yeah yeah so yeah I mean I I think in in terms of your point there they have put it on the poster to be fair so I mean so that's that's quite a nice uh, quite a nice um, uh, way to put it but but I do I do wonder that because Raw is in such a mess at the moment and and they've obviously had all these all this sort of stuff with Corbin dominating the show and it, it feels a bit like 
I, I think they know that the match is a big deal. And I think they know that fans know the match is a big deal. So, I mean, I guess you could read it as some rare restraint on their part not to um, over-egg it. I mean, I assume they're going to have more matches after this as well. That's the other thing. I'm not so sure, especially with the next pay-per-view. Maybe they'll have a match on TV or something, but obviously the next pay-per-view is Royal Rumble. Rumours are swirling around that, that uh, you know, Seth may be getting that main event against against Brock Lesnar. I really, at this point, I really hope he does, provided he wins, of course. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, there's a part of me that would prefer it to be a one-shot and done this time around, just because it would feel even bigger for, for, for its scarcity in that sense. Um and I would love to see Dean pursue Seth into the Royal Rumble, and my dream is to see those two do a Sean Bulldog oh, yeah. <laughs> in the Rumble. Oh, but, yes. <laughs> uh, whether, whether, whether we get that or not, I don't know. I mean, you've got a little bit more faith in WWE than I do. I, I fear that they, in, in typical fashion, misinterpret what's happening with, with the Raw ratings and, and presume it's because they've got no big stars on the show anymore, and so they're, they're, they'll lose faith in, in feuds like Ambrose and Rollins. But we can touch wood hope that that's not the case. I mean, obviously... History and legacy is on our side on that point. But either way, I, I think they're going to have an outrageously good match on Sunday. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, if, if those good dear listeners of the right side of the pond want to know more of our thoughts on it, I guess they can go check out the last three episodes of Sports Entertainment is Dead. No, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think um, for me, I, I would like, I think I said this on, on, on SCID, like, I think I'd like to see um, Dean win this um, yep, quite quite conclusively uh, because, they, of course, you know, with Seth, again, you have to set up. I think he's at his best as a face when he's having to build from the ground up appropriately yep. as an architect. Um, so if so he, you know, if Ambrose kind of, you know, really um, sort of tells us that he was telling the truth all along by, by beating Seth here because, I know, maybe Seth does something egotistical that makes him lose the match or whatever, proving Ambrose's point, then obviously then the, the Rumble can be his redemption, which I think is quite a nice quite yeah. a nice way to do it. I think they need to work in the fact that Rollins is still on a redemptive arc and, and work in, if he does get the main main event, work that in as... You know the culmination. Apparently, Triple H has been lobbying hard for Rollins versus Lesnar, which I didn't realise is, is something I read recently. But um, well, also you, know, you got to think been... all those social media posts about um, Lesnar not yeah. never being there. There's got to be a purpose Absolutely. for that because there's Absolutely. no way they'd let him do that unless and, there was a purpose behind it. And the opening segment to Raw this week as well was was very heavily intimating that that was the the path that waits for Seth. But I think they they it would be foolish for them to leave on the table the fact that they could work this into a, an overarching redemptive story for him. And you're absolutely right. You want to drag him down as the hero of the story. As a result, you want to drag him down to a lower point, arguably his lowest point um, since since the Triple H thing, in order to build him and allow him to make that climb back up again. And the idea of his of, of losing one brother uh, in, in a very sad real-world situation, losing the other one in a fictional, emotive, fictional sense... Um, then being beaten by the guy who betrayed him uh, and having to face the consequences of that, uh, I think that sets up nicely uh, the, the final culmination of, you know, it'd be like take he's taking all of these steps forward, then this Dean Ambrose issue has pulled him right back to square one again, so now he's just got to make that final last push and redeem himself basically by doing what Roman had done in the past in Roman's absence, uh, and being, especially because in the wider view of things, Brian has, has fallen from grace. Ambrose has fallen from grace. Becky Lynch fell from grace. You know, all of the stalwart heroes of the last few years have all lost themselves as Rollins has found himself. 
So you've got a you've got a wonderful wider context there as well. I think it would be such a powerful story. I'd be all over it and I'd be writing about it relentlessly from the Rumble to to WrestleMania. So I I can only hope that that's that's what they go for. Amen to that. Um, all right, so that pretty much wraps us up for uh, for this week. Um, do go and listen to the rest of LP radio shows, but especially Sports Entertainment is dead because uh, we really had a blast. Uh, putting that Ambrose and uh, Rollins history together. Um, all right. So until next time, the right side of the pond. We'll see you later. Bye.